We welcome you back into another edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. This is Andy Bullbarch with AM 930 WEOL and 100.3 FM. As always, joined at a safe social distance by Scott Petrak, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, brownzone.com. Scott, it's awfully drafty in these parts as we are just a couple days away from the NFL draft. One I'm sure we are all going to remember because in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, it has really changed the way teams have approached this without any pro days. I mean, that's kind of put general managers in an interesting spot. And with this virtual draft on Thursday, Scott, things could get awfully interesting. Yeah, it really could bull. Um, you know, part of it's going to be normal, right? Because the draft is heading, is head, going ahead as planned, same days. Um, it'll be, so that part's good, right? That feels normal. But you're right, there's a million things that are abnormal about this whole process. And it's, most of the pro days were canceled. None of the visits to facilities, none of the private workouts, right? Since the middle of March, NFL teams were not allowed to, host prospects, and we're not allowed to visit campuses. And that really changes the dynamic. Um, so there's just all kinds of different things, and we haven't even touched on the technology of how the draft's going to work. Does it affect trades? Will there be glitches? All those things that could happen. Will it be? Will the draft be hacked? Right? I've read stories about that. So while it will feel familiar in some senses, it will feel completely different in a lot of other different areas. And we will certainly tackle all of that and then some here in the next half hour. We'll get into your final mock draft. I know you're putting the final touches on that, some potential trades, and much, much more. But let's begin with the experimental mock that the NFL put together to kind of test the waters, if you will, with the technology. The Browns only seem to have minor issues, whereas some other teams like the Bengals had many other issues, and they made it very well known that they weren't particularly fond of this method, though nobody really seems to have much of a choice in this matter. And, Scott, because of all of that, Thursday could be an awfully intriguing night, and not just Thursday. As we get deeper into the weekend, it it could be a really fun follow. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. I mean, it starts with Roger Goodell, right, the commissioner, in his basement. And the visual is going to be weird, <laughs> certainly. Yes. And then you're going to have, you know, Zoom or whatever whatever platform they're using. But it's going to be interviews with teams, coaches, and GMs from their basement. And then interviews or look-ins at the draft prospects themselves, right? We're going to see Chase Young in his home somewhere. And we're going to see that for the top guys. And while we still saw that back in the day, right, you can remember Baker being at home, and you can remember a lot, you know, a lot of those things stand out um, from some guys being at home, the guys that didn't make the trip to wherever the draft was, New York, and then when it started to travel. There were plenty of guys that stayed at home. Um, I think Baker stayed at home. I remember that picture of the Brett Favre thing. So I'm pretty sure he was at home. I know Miles Garrett was at home. Um, but it'll be different because it's not – it's not like ESPN or NFL Network has their whole crew there watching it. And you're, I am assuming the draft parties won't be big, right? I mean, back in the day you had house full, houses full of people and all the guys, all the players, family and friends. Well, in this age, right, of social distance, distancing, you would think it'd be the player, maybe his parents, 
maybe his brothers and sisters, maybe a girlfriend, it wouldn't be the same, it, I would think, the same raucous atmosphere. So, yeah, it's all going to be different. Um, but, you know, from a technological standpoint, there have to be glitches, right? I assume there'll be glitches. Uh, you know, the Browns are going to have 12 or 13 people, like, on a main call. And then they'll have scouts, and they'll have position coaches on a different call. In times, multiply that by 32. And then you have the NFL's infrastructure. Um, I would expect some hiccups, and I think the NFL is allowing for that. I know that if there's a trade right at the when the clock's winding down, when the, a team's on the clock and they're they're trying to execute a trade, the NFL is in position to pause the draft clock, kind of like your commissioner can do in your fantasy league, right? They can pause it if you're screwed up your pick or you pick the guy that already been picked. We've all been through that, um, so. I think it will be unusual to some degree in just the execution and the NFL teams, the league itself and fans are going to have to make allowances for that. Well, diving into the meat and potatoes of what we might expect, especially on that first day on Thursday, Uh, last Friday, we had Adam Burke with bangthebook.com and bang the book radio on our afternoon show bullseye on the afternoon. And one of the things he mentioned was that if you follow a lot of the betting markets surrounding the NFL draft, there is a pretty good indication that Isaiah Simmons could certainly drop to the Browns at number 10. And even though left tackle seems to be the likely scenario for the Browns, if Simmons falls to the Browns at 10, do you really think they would pass on him? To me, that's one of the biggest questions about this draft, especially surrounding the Browns. And I read an interesting story, and I think it was Draft Network was the site, and it was talking about the same thing, how – if you look at the teams drafting in the top 10, and they included the Browns, and they didn't think the Browns would take Simmons, where I do think it's a possibility. Um, the article pointed out, well, you know he's not going number one. You know he's not going number two. And it kind of went through. And there were only, I think, three landing spots where they said, yes, he could go here. And even then it wasn't a slam dunk. So that made the argument that, yes, he could be drop out of the top 10 or at least be there for the Browns at number 10. And I'm kind of seeing that. You know, I'm doing, like you said, I'm doing my final mock draft right now, and I don't have Simmons gone in the top nine. I think the big, for me, it's number four, the Giants. Do they take Simmons? And instead I have them taking an offensive tackle, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. And then Carolina at seven. And you think they're going to go defense, but I have them going Derek Brown, the D tackle from Auburn, as opposed to Simmons. Now, if Simmons goes, that's fine, and – you know, it's a moot point for the Browns. But if he doesn't go there, I think he could be around a 10. And then what do the Browns do? And I think that's a huge question. Um, and there's so many layers. Number one, Andrew Barry, he's talked about being open-minded and not pigeonholing himself into taking a left tackle at 10. Well, it feels like he's talking about it. What if he's still there and you think he is the best player in the draft or a top three player, you just grab him. And there's, it's not like the Browns don't have a need. They have a need at linebacker and safety. And Simmons fit, can play either spot. Um, then I think the Browns have to decide, well, we want to trade back because they want more picks, right? That's, the philosophy is get as many picks as possible. Well, if somebody's offering to move up, like Denver, I have Denver moving up to number 10 with the Browns so Denver can get a receiver. So the Browns move back to 15, and then you're giving up probably on Isaiah Simmons. He won't be there at number 15. You have to take all that into consideration. So I do think that will be a huge decision, or could be 
a huge decision the Browns will have to make if, in fact, he slides, and I would not rule out that possibility at all. And as we mentioned a few moments ago, it certainly seems like left tackle is the likely scenario, although, as you said, Andrew Barry has mentioned he doesn't necessarily want to pigeonhole himself into that. But of the offensive line prospects that could potentially be available at number 10, which ones do you think are ideally the best fit for the Browns? It's so interesting. Well, I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about these left tackles, right? Because we all know it's the number one need on the roster. So it's not foolish to talk so much about left tackle. And it works out perfectly for the Browns, seemingly, because there are so many quality candidates. That's why all the mocks in the world are the Browns taking a left tackle at 10, because it just makes sense. Um, and I can't see a scenario where they don't come out of the first round without a left tackle. Well, let me amend that. The scenario is they find a left tackle somewhere else, meaning they trade for Trent Williams with Washington, or they decide they're going to sign Jason Peters, the free agent from Philly. Like Then if you do that, then you can get through the first round without taking a left tackle. If you don't do that, in my mind, you have to figure out a way to take a left tackle, whether it's 10, whether it's after a trade down, whether you move back up from 41 to the bottom of the first round to take a left tackle. So I think all those, all those different ways to find a left tackle are on the table but the Browns need to do that. And getting back to your question, so I've studied all these left tackles. I'm not a left tackle expert, but I have watched their film and their highlights and complete games of these guys. And I read about what Joe Thomas says about them. And I like Mekhi Becton of Louisville the best. And I know he's 355, 360 pounds, and some people worry about that. But the way he moves at that weight is incredible. It's freakish. And the way he overpowers people, especially in the run game, in that wild zone that the Browns want to run under Kevin Stefanski, he gets out in space and he just demolishes defenders. And to me, it just looks different than all the other left tackles I'm watching. And I get that pro football focus says he hasn't had a lot, as many traditional pass protection repetitions as his counterparts. And I get that. And there's some concern there. But I think when you're that gifted, you'll be able to figure it out. I like the fact that he played left tackle at Louisville. So for me, he's number one. And now, you know, there's a flagged drug test. There's a report of a flagged drug test at the combine. Now, flagged could mean anything. Could mean diluted sample. Could mean he failed the test, tested positive for something. We don't know that. We do know that the new collective bargaining agreement removes suspensions for positive drug tests. So I think it's a lot of a concern as long as you're not as long as you're comfortable with his character and the people you talk to at Louisville, I talk to his offensive line coach, we rave about him. So as long as the Browns feel comfortable, I don't think Beckton should be taken off their board or anything like that. And having said that, he's my number one. I like Alabama's Jedrick Wills, number two. And I was a little concerned there because he played only right tackle his whole life and a half to switch to the left side but I like him as a player. I think he's athletic enough. Nick Saban told me he believed he could make the switch to left tackle. So he would be a number two. Then there's George's Andrew Thomas, who is solid and still probably the safest pick of these top tackles. And I'd be fine if the Browns took him. Um, he just looks, I guess he just doesn't look as dynamic to me. He's Beckton and Wills. And maybe that's not important at left tackle, but that stood out to me when I watched. 
Now there's Iowa's Tristan Wirfs, who is a good pick. Like I said, I'm going forward to the Giants. They can play him at the right side if they want. Um, there would be a conversion there. He played mostly right tackle at Iowa. Um, a physical freak as well. I don't think you could go wrong with either of those four guys. And there's other options, too. Isaac Cleveland from Boise State, Josh Jones from Houston, Austin Jackson from USC. And all those four guys, I'm expecting number one. And you threw this out there a few minutes ago, too. You know, Peters could certainly be a guy they look at in free agency. There are rumors popping back up about Trent Williams, too. Of course, the big question there is what's the asking price? Uh, are you buying any of that? Do you, do you think Trent Williams still could potentially be a part of this puzzle, or do you think that asking price is still going to be a bit too high for the Browns' liking? Well, that's the key. That's the key, Bull, is I think the Browns are interested. And it makes sense because he's a big-time player, right? I mean, Trent Williams is a quality off tackle. Scott McLuhan, the former GM, went on the radio in Washington yesterday and said, you know, he'd be the top guy in the draft. Well, I believe that because, number one, you've already seen him do it in the NFL. So it would make sense as a projection. He's a seven-time Pro Bowler, for crying out loud. It makes sense that he would be the top pick. But having said that, right, he's 31 years old. He'll be 32 when the season starts. He didn't play last year at all. He missed time in 18. He missed three games with an injury. 17, he missed six games. 16, he missed four games. 15, he missed two games. So he hasn't played a full season since 2013. Um, just, there's just issues there. And he's going to want a bunch of money when you sign him. So you also like the idea of Trent Williams. He could step in immediately. He'd be a huge upgrade. But there are things that have to be worked out, starting with what do you give Washington to trade for him? And I would not go above a third-round pick. Because then you're going to have to turn around and pay him whatever that dollar amount is. Is it $15 million a year? Is it $18 million a year? Whatever that number is, you have to pay them on top of giving away a draft pick. And when there's so many other options in the draft that are quality options, that are younger, that are cheaper, it would have to be the right mix for me. So while I wouldn't rule it out, I would not say I expect the Browns to make that trade. Trades certainly going to be another fascinating follow, not only on Thursday, but all throughout the weekend, too, because of this virtual draft. Will it be a little bit tougher to pull some of those off? That remains to be seen. But you're hearing a little bit more noise about the about the Browns potentially trading back. We'll get into that scenario with your latest mock draft and your final mock draft here in a couple of moments. But is there a possibility, you think, that the Browns, could use some of their draft capital to trade back into the first round. And if they do that, who are some of the potential targets you think the Browns have on their radar? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Well, there's there's a couple of layers to these trades. And you're right. I'm not convinced the kind of on-the-clock, I want to move up from 20 to 15 trade. I, I think that will be more difficult than in the past. I'm not saying it's impossible. And Andrew Barry believes it'll go off without a hitch. But I just think it – Teams might be more reluctant. I think you could see a big market for veterans being traded because that's not necessarily time sensitive. You know, you can work on that ahead of the draft. You can work on that while other teams are picking, and it's not necessarily reliant on if player X is still there when I'm on the clock, then we'll make this trade. For instance, Trent Williams, that trade could happen at any point. Yes, it'll probably happen during the draft, but the groundwork would have been lower. And just one final point on Trent Williams. You have to consider Bill Callahan, the new Browns line coach, was with Williams in Washington. So 
who knows him. He supposedly loves him. Now, that doesn't change the fact that the Browns still have to figure out the best compensation for him and for Washington, but that's the fact. Um, the 49ers want to clear salary camp space, reportedly, and have a bunch of veteran defenders on the ball. All right. What about Jamal Adams in, with the Jets? Are they looking to trade him? And if so, that happens during the draft. Um, and then Anthony Harris from the Vikings, we've talked about him before, Bull. He was a guy that the Browns, I thought, would target in free agency. Instead, the Vikings put the franchise tag on him, but are open to trading him. And maybe that gets done in the draft. And that's another way of addressing what the Browns have in safety. Um, and then you mentioned trading back up into the first round. If the Browns did that, and I always say the analytics tell you to trade down and acquire more picks, that doesn't mean you can't move, make a trade up. But if they were do, to do that, it would be, in my opinion, to target a specific player or more likely a specific position. And that would be left tackle. If they don't take their left tackle early, they would try to go from 41 back into the mid or late 20s to get one of that second tier of left tackles. And that's the Austin Jackson, the Josh Jones, the Ezra Cleveland. I like Josh Jones a lot of that group, but it feels like the Browns might like Ezra Cleveland better. I think he's a better athlete, maybe a bigger upside. So those would be the names I would watch if the Browns move back up, again, only if they haven't solved left tackle already. All right, well, we focused a lot on that first round, and we'll come back around to it on your final mock draft here in a minute, but let's take a look at days two and three. I know you wrote an article on this a couple of days ago detailing some of the potential prospects the Browns could be looking at on Friday and Saturday. Who are some of the potential targets to you that kind of stand out that you think could be a good fit for the Browns? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of these guys, right? But it's you kind of got to go by position, in my opinion, and – it's where, again, where do the Browns have needs? I think they have needs at defensive end. So you look at the guy from Penn State, Natur Gross Models. Now, he might not even be there when they drafted 41 in the second round, but if he is, he's a guy I would think about. Alex Highsmith from Charlotte, a guy, maybe a third or fourth round pick, another defensive end. If you go to linebackers, um, there's a Keem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State, Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Moving Taylor from Colorado. I think those are third or fourth round guys that the Browns could target. Um, and then if you want to switch an offense, obviously the Browns have fewer needs on offense outside of offense. But it's not, it's not like they don't have any needs. Tight end. I think that's a spot where we know Kevin Stefanski likes to use multiple tight ends. After Austin Hooper and Joku, there's question marks. So what about Kobe Parkinson from Stanford? Brenton Hopkins from Purdue are two guys. And then I think the receiver spot is fascinating. Everybody, all the experts, say this is the deepest receiver class in so many years. And if it's that way, I'm arguing with them. I, you know, I agree with them. They've done way more work on, this, on that position than I have. But if that's the case, then I think it would be foolish for Andrew Barry not to draft at least one of these prospects. Even you can get potentially a starter in the fourth or fifth round. And if that's the case, you can't pass up that opportunity, in my opinion. So I don't care if you have OBJ and you have Jarvis Landry. Go ahead and draft the guy. Let him learn behind that. Maybe he can be your third guy right away. And I don't even think the Browns will use a, a third wide up that often this season. But you can get him, and it's another young guy. You don't know how long OBJ and Landry are going to be on the Browns. 
So I don't think you can pass on a receiver. And then the guys I'd be looking for in those middle rounds are Gabriel Davis from Central Florida, Bob Jr. from Kentucky, James Proch from SMU, and Juwan Johnson from Oregon. Some interesting names to remember again on Friday and on Saturday this weekend. And, well, Scott, that leads us in to your final mock draft. I know right now you're putting the finishing touches on that, but can you give us a little preview as to what to expect with your final mock draft? Yeah, you know, the first one I did, I was kind of reluctant to include trades. This one I figured I'm going to do at least a handful where I think they're likely and the framework can be put together ahead of time and it won't, it can happen given the new draft restraints. So uh, Miami moving up to number three to make sure the Dolphins get to a, you know, the Alabama quarterback. I know the injury history, but I just think they can't afford to risk missing out on him. Um, and then we get to the Browns. Like I said, I got him at number 10. I'm going to have him trading down to 15 with Denver. I think Denver wants to come up and get a receiver and they take rugs, the speedster out of Alabama. And then by the time the Browns drafted 15, Simmons is off the board now. He goes 13 to San Francisco. Wills, Worse, and Thomas are off the board. And I saw Mackay Becton sitting there at number 15. Now, you know, he could go number four to the Giants. I don't think that's possible. But in this, my mind, the scenario I have right now on my laptop, and I think I'm going to lock into stone, um, he's there at number 15. And if I were the Browns, I would draft him. So I have the Browns taking Mackay Becton at number 15. And to me, that would be a huge win. Not only do you trade down five spots and pick up a third rounder, you get arguably the best left tackle in the draft. And I think that would be a huge win for Andrew Berry. Well, of course, we certainly look forward to reading that mock draft and taking a look at it on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Scott, Thursday should be really interesting. Friday and Saturday should be a lot of fun to watch as well. This year's draft has so much intrigue, not only because of the Browns' heavy involvement drafting in the top 10 again, but because of the virtual nature of this draft. Boy, things are going to be so much different, and that should give us a lot to talk about next week as well. Yeah, and, and you know what else, Bull? Fans have had nothing else to watch. And I know this isn't a live event, right? And you can't name a winner or loser. Um, but at least it gives sports fans something live to watch. And we all know there's a ton of interest in the draft regardless. But I would think Thursday night especially, when you know the big names, it gives you something to watch. It's not, you know, it's not a 30-for-30 30 30 documentary. It's not Tiger King. Um I think people are going to look forward to watching the draft more than they have in past years. I would agree with that because you're right. This is the biggest sporting event that we've had the chance to watch in quite some time. And unfortunately, the way things sound right now, this could be the biggest sporting event that we have the opportunity to watch for quite some time, depending on how things shake out. Scott, as always, we appreciate the time. Looking forward to reading your latest mock draft here tomorrow, and we look forward to doing this again next week to recap the draft. Sounds great. Thanks, Bull. Thank you, Scott. Again, that's Scott Petrack, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, at brownzone.com. That's going to wrap things up on today's edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrack, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for tuning in to today's show. We will catch up with all of you again next week.